0: And I am going to miss that uh, that bumper video. It's a great one. So thank you for being here. My name is Matt. One of the pastors on our team. I want to welcome you at all five of our campuses. And we're fired up that you're here, fired up about what God is doing, what God's going to do. I want to give you just a, a little heads up on some things going on uh, next weekend. Your know, school kind of starts back in most of our communities. And next weekend, for all of our 6th through 12th graders, we have the link launch. So that is on August the 12th from 6 to 8 p.m. And uh, all about our sixth through twelfth graders. So, if, parents, if you have any questions about that, you can go to our website. You can see somebody in the connection area, talk to your campus pastor. Love to help you. But a great environment for our sixth through twelfth graders. And then we're celebrating what God is doing up in our Hickson campus that next week when we kick off our new series called "I Am Not a Quitter." We're going to start a second service in Hickson, Tennessee. So we're going to have a 9:30 and an 11 o'clock service. God's really uh, given us some growth up there. This gives Gives us another hook in the water another option for people to be able to connect to a King Jesus. So what I want to ask us all to do at all five of our campuses to join with me. You know, we have a core value that we are one. We're one church in multiple locations. Would you all join with me as we pray for next weekend and the launch of this second service opportunity in Hickson? Let's pray together. God, I just want to thank you and, and praise you for how uh, you have used this church uh, for 16 years. You started as God with 25 adults wondering what you might do and then, God, I just marvel at your grace, marvel at your presence, and, God, your desire to connect more people into your kingdom, into your forever family. So, God, I just want to pray for Hickson specifically and ask, God, that you bless the launch of this second service. God, we know there are people that do not have a church family, we know there are people that aren't learning about Jesus Christ and the life that we are meant to have in Him as, as students, as children uh, of His forever family. And God, whether you use our church or, or another church matters not, but we want to be found bold, faithful, and seeking those you came to invite into your forever family. So God, as we launch this service, we boldly, in the name of Jesus, just pray for your favor For your strength upon our leadership, our volunteers, for people to say yes as they're invited to come to church. And God, we pray that you would make disciples of your son, Jesus, because of this second service opportunity in our Hickson campus. And you, Jesus, be glorified. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to wrap up a, a series called Spirit Blockers where we've been talking uh, around three negative verbs of things that we can do to the Holy Spirit. Resist. Uh, last week was grieve. And then we'll get to our, our third negative verb this week. But I'll tell you a story. I, I, and I always think about this story because it's getting that time again where my, my sons will start playing football. And it's just, uh, you know, something I, I love. And a couple of years ago, <clears throat> my oldest son, Iyasu, was kind of playing in, a, in like a playoff game and we went into overtime and it was, I think we were playing like Bartow County or Cartersville or something and it was overtime and we were ahead and kind of, they got the ball back and they're running, they got one last play and like Iyasu makes like the game saving, you know, tackle and we win in overtime and you know, we're just like, woo woo you know, it is like awesome and, and so, you know, when that happens, you got to go eat somewhere so we go to Longhorn, there's about a dozen of us, and I mean, we get out of the car, and we're still talking, like, can you believe that game? Can you believe this? Can you believe that? We get inside the restaurant, and all the moms and, and everybody, like, hey, boys, y'all got to all wash your hands, you know, got to do that if you played football, and, and we sit down, and, and it's, we've been inside the restaurant like 10 minutes or so, we sit down at the table, and Beth and I are looking around, like, where's Abraham? We have two sons, if you didn't know that, Okay. Uh, I, I'm like, where's Abraham? And I'm like, Yasu, did you leave him in the bathroom? And Yasu, go get, you left him in the bathroom, go in there and find Abraham. He goes back in the bathroom and he's like, Dad, comes back, Abraham's not there. And, you know, your heart as a parent yeah. starts to like sink because we're like, we've been worried, we've won a game and we've lost our son. And uh, where is our son? And then I, I'm like, well, let me go out to the car. I left Abraham in the back seat of the car. And he's in there crying, and I'm nominated for dad of the year. And and I'm like, how in the world did I forget about the presence of my son and just not be attentive to that? But you know what? I think, if we're all honest, we sometimes don't attend to the presence of God. We forget about God. We think, we've, we've, hopefully we've unlearned this over the last two weeks, we think we can sort of leave God at church, the building of church, or, or, or we think God's not interested, or, or, or we just sort of leave God alone and we don't attend to His presence. Well, there's something else that we, we sometimes can do to God. Now, I'll illustri- illustrate this by way of this optical illusion. And you, you see this, what looks like kind of curved and, and not straight lines. But in reality, and it's all an optical illusion, these lines are all parallel, which means they're equal distance from one another. I know some of you don't believe me, and you're like, what? I don't see that, I don't see that. Well, that's the point. Sometimes we don't perceive reality, and sometimes God's presence goes unperceived meaning God's, God's present, but we don't perceive it. Just like, I, I just see what I see, and I don't see that those lines are parallel. And, and so, we miss God's presence because we don't attend to it, or we forget about God, or we leave God, or we think we can leave God alone, or we don't perceive God's presence. And yet, if you hear nothing else today, presence is the point of Christianity. The presence of God, you and I in the presence of God, you and I experiencing the presence of God, is absolutely the point of Christianity. Now that immediately puts you and me at a crossroads, because here's the question you always got to ask. When someone says, hey, would you go to the movie with me, or hey, you want to hang out with me, you're at a crossroads, because you're like, well, do I want to be with that person or not? And so when I say presence is the point of Christianity, this is the point where some of us, if we're honest, you gotta, you, you'll want to get off the train. And this is so important because think about Adam and Eve. First two chapters of Genesis, they're walking around with God. Uh, you know, just no shame, no sin, perfect fellowship. They sin, they rebel against God, they reject God's commands, they reject all, all of that. And then the next thing you know, what are they doing? They're hiding from God. The thing that brought them the most joy, the unadulterated presence of God, now is the thing they're most terrified about. And so they go hide from God. And we've been doing that ever since. And so the the, the invitation to start the message with this is, do we want the presence of God? Because the presence of God is the point of Christianity. The presence of God and experiencing the presence of God is the point of Christianity. And, and, And you know, if you're in someone's presence... There's adjustments and alignments you have to make. And if it's God's presence, well, well, most of the alignment and adjustment is on our end. And and you got to ask yourself, do I enjoy, would I enjoy, is being in the presence of God enjoyable? Do I want that for my life? Would you pray with me? God, I want to just pray that you would open the eyes of all of our hearts to see some things today. And God, I know some of us are at a crossroads because this puts Christianity not as just a belief system. This puts Christianity as something way more intrusive, way more personal, way more 24-7, seven days a week, 365, than sometimes we're comfortable with, God. That if we're talking about the point of Christianity is your presence in us and with us and for us, God, that's a game changer. Because suddenly, I'm not just going to work. I'm not just doing my own thing. I'm not just going to school. Suddenly, I've got to attend to your presence. Suddenly, God, we want to become perceptive of your presence. So God, just give his eyes to see. And I pray, God, for those that are resistant right now to you and your love and your will and your ways. That you would break down resistance in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So, just so you can see this in Scripture, that presence is the point of Christianity, I want to illustrate it for you. So Adam and Eve sinned away the presence of God. And then God began a massive restoration, cleanup operation. And he started with a guy named Abram, changed his name to Abraham, built him into a a, a tribe, a clan, and then to a nation. And and it's all founded on this major promise that he gave Abraham in Genesis 12. Here's what he says to Abraham. He says, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this is not going to be a geographically limited faith or religion. This is not going to be an ethnically limited faith or ethnically limited religion, but all peoples on earth are going to get blessed. And this would be ethnic groups through you. And this is God speaking to Abraham. And and then that promise just sits there. and, And God slowly and providentially and sovereignly and through ups and downs and twists and turns begins to fulfill this promise and brings Christ into the world puts Christ on a tree to, uh, to die in our place, and, and then he starts to tell us how he's fulfilling this promise, and we get this summarized in Galatians 3.13. He says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham, so Galatians 3, written in the 50s, AD, all the way to Genesis 12, written thousands of years BC, the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles, all the nations, by Christ Jesus, so that we could receive the promised spirit by faith. That what God has been longing to give you and I since Genesis 12 is the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's so important in this series. We're talking about the three negative things we can do to the Holy Spirit. Resist was part one. Grieve was part two. And we'll get to the word for part three. But that God's Spirit would come and indwell us. That we would replace the Old Testament temple and tabernacle and become the sanctuary, the temple of God. That's you if you're a Christ follower. That's the promise of God to you if you put your faith in this fact that Jesus bore the curse for you. And we go to Ephesians 1, and 13 and 14. It says this, in him, in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believe the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. Now, this is key. A down payment is, is a small part of what you're going to get later on. So the Holy Spirit, we get the Holy Spirit in salvation, and He is a down payment of our future inheritance. Our future inheritance is just more of God. So, so really, when, when we talk about church, and it's like, well, do you want to go to heaven or hell? Well, that's an easy question for anybody to answer. If there is a hell, I don't want anything to do with that. And, and really, the, the question is, do you want Christ? Do you want God or not? Because we make heaven out to be whatever we think heaven on earth would be. Heaven's a golf course. Heaven's Waffle House. Heaven's Cracker Barrel on steroids, baby. That's heaven. Heaven is just God. And if if Christ weren't in heaven, would you want to go? So, so really, the offer of Christianity is not so much the offer of Miss Hell. The offer of Christianity is way more than forgiveness of your sins. The offer of Christianity is just way more than something to fill up your time and your calendar with. The offer of Christianity is the promised presence of God, mediated, brought to us by the Holy Spirit. And, and if we miss that, we have missed the point. We have missed the point of our faith when we're sharing Jesus. You know what we got to do? we got to show people the glory of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the excellency of Christ, and the Holy Spirit illuminates. That's what we have to do. That's the whole point of Christianity. And, and the question becomes, do we want to be in the presence of God or not? That is the question. And that's why these three negative verbs that we've been unpacking for the past three weeks are so important. So Paul gives us a final negative verb that's very insightful about what we don't want to do with the presence of the Holy Spirit. It comes to us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm going to read a verse and we'll put it in context. And it says this, Don't quench or stifle the Spirit. So don't quench the Spirit. It's, and that's a, a, a verb like a fire. Don't, don't put out the fire. Don't Feed the fire. Fan the flame. It's that kind of language. That when, what Paul, and that's what we can do to the presence of God. By how we live and by things we do, we can quench the Holy Spirit. So his helpful analogy is that quench would mean we neglect or we dishonor the presence of God. Like I neglected to account for Abraham in my car. Like we might not have perceived God or believed that that was really, those lines were really parallel. So we can neglect or dishonor God and we end up quenching or removing the sense of God's presence with us. So what we want to try to do today, and I'm going to try to be as practical as I can about a very somewhat mysterious type topic, which is how in the world do we experience the presence of God? If the presence of God is the point, and God's whole invitation is really not misheld. God's whole invitation is to know Him through Christ and the Holy Spirit. We don't want to miss what that's all about. We don't want to walk around not attending to the presence of God, not perceptive to the presence of God. We want to be alive to the presence of God and not quench the presence of God. So let's make a distinction before we jump in. There's really two, two types of God's presence. There's God's omnipresence, which simply is the fact that you can never escape God. He's everywhere all the time. And there's God's manifest presence, Everybody experiences the omnipresence of God. You just breathed in oxygen, you've experienced the provision, the presence of God. The nuclear force, which keeps atoms from going crazy and falling apart, that's the. I mean, God sustains, God does all these kind of things as creator God. He's everywhere. But the manifest presence of God is something more particular. The manifest presence of God is something more specific, and it's unique to the Christ follower who has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So the manifest presence of God is something altogether different. Now, to, to do that, we got to, like, unlearn some things, okay? So when I say this phrase, hey, what, what, what comes to your mind when we say, hey, God is with us, what does that mean? All right, now, here, now let, let's, let's go through this. For some people, if I, if I say God is with you, here's where you go in your mind. That means you're going to be successful, Whatever your definition of success is in your career or anything like that. that, Hey, God is with me. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to receive favor. And most of the time, it takes kind of earthly, worldly connotations. Here's what it means to be a successful ninth grader. Here's what it means to be a successful athlete. Here's what it means to be a successful business person. So sometimes God is with me means I'm going to be successful. Hey, God is with me. God is good. Other times, God is with me means I'm hopeful. Hey, God's going to be with you today. God's going to be with you as you go interview. God's going to be with you as you go talk to that person. And, And so you're hopeful. And not that that's wrong. It's just a very limited definition of that. For some people, God is with us is a feeling, like, we were supposed to feel something, like some sensation, some experience, like a, a ride at Disneyland, or, or, or some, like, tingly thing in our arms, and, like, we go to church, like, I just didn't feel God, a- a- as if our feelings are always right. <laughs> Did you know that your feelings aren't always right? You know that, right? So, but, but, we'll, but we'll put God up and so say, I just didn't feel God today. So, so let's understand, there's, a, there's some bad stuff that we need, to, or incorrect or incomplete stuff that we need to unlearn when I say, hey, God is with us, when we, to get to the manifest presence of God. So we begin to sort of understand the manifest presence of God as we kind of navigate through First Thessalonians. Probably First Thessalonians is the first book of the New Testament that was written which is kind of remarkable. Paul planted this church, probably spent about only three weeks there before we had to leave. And then he was like, how are these people doing? I was only there for three weeks. And so, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul describes what happened to the Thessalonians. And this begins to help us understand the, this concept of the manifest or the peculiar, particular, specific presence of God in our lives. Here's what he says. Because our gospel, that's good news, Jesus died in our place, crucified, buried, and raised again to new life. Our gospel did not come to you in word only. So, it wasn't just a reporting of facts, But also in power and in the Holy Spirit, there it is again, the Holy Spirit takes the gospel and the word of God and manifests something, manifests God in certain ways to us, and with full assurance. So these these people did not just hear a sermon and say, oh, that was interesting, and walk out unaffected. These people did not just hear Paul say, Jesus died in your place, died for your sins. Jesus wants to be the king, the savior of life. Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting on since Genesis 3, the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. And he he wants to be your Lord and savior. And they they didn't just say, well, that's okay. Let me think about it and then walk out. They received, they believed. And so the Holy Spirit was there and there was full assurance that they were adopted into the family of God. He presses even more and he describes their conversion or their encounter with the presence of God even more. He says, in spite of severe severe persecution, so it wasn't easy to be a Christ follower. It wasn't, your life didn't get better circumstantially. Your careers didn't suddenly take off. You didn't suddenly become healthy, wealthy, and wise when you received Christ. But you still welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. You turn to God from idols to to serve the living and true God. So from that, I'm going to draw a definition of what it means to experience or have or understand the manifest presence of God. Which is like fuel for our soul. The goal of our soul. The goal of our existence is to be in the presence of God. Here's what it is. Realizing the reality of God more directly... And and that could be more passionately, more correctly, but realizing the reality of God more directly that you're, God's real, God is this, God is sovereign, God is good, God is peace, God is hope, God is all-knowing, God is wise, realizing the the reality of God more directly, producing more effects in our lives. And we heard some of those effects, right? We heard full assurance, so they knew that they knew that they knew. We heard with joy. We heard they repented or they said, I'm going to stop pursuing these idols, these replacements, these substitutes for God. And I'm going to start pursuing God himself. So realizing the reality of God more directly and producing more effects in our lives. Now, now this is not unique just to Christ followers. You can be a non-believer and experience the reality of God through conviction and understanding. You are on the wrath of God. You are under God's wrath apart from Christ, and, and the effect can be you run from God, you resist God. That's part one. Okay, so, so anybody can sort of encounter the manifest presence of God, but it's a peculiar, specific grace and blessing to a Christian. Now, in light of this, let's talk about the positive side, that we are in the presence of God. Paul builds uh, around that concept of not quenching the presence of the Holy Spirit. He builds eight imperatives or eight commands that illustrate this right here. So let's talk through them. We'll go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, start at verse 16. Rejoice always. Because you're in the presence of God, and there's joy in the presence of God. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. And this is not joy in getting the promotion. This is not joy in material things. This is not joy in my team won the championship. This is joy in the Lord. Pray constantly. Because you're always in the presence of God and you can talk to God always. There's never a time you're not in the presence of God. You understand what Paul is teaching by understanding you're always in the presence of God and you want to realize, recognize, submit to, follow the reality of who God is. Give thanks in everything. How can you do that when you realize God is sovereign and God is good? So you give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I thought God's will for me was to tell me who to marry and what school to go to and what job to take and what house to live in. Maybe, but in everything, he wants you to give thanks for him because you're in his presence, and that's the point. And then don't quench the spirit. And then he goes on, he says, don't despise prophecies. Prophecies are just something that alerts us to reality. And sometimes there's false prophecies, so he says, but test all things. So test the false prophecies, but prophecies alert us to reality. So go back to 1 Thessalonians 1, the word of God came, the gospel was preached, that's a prophecy, they received it, they believed it with the Holy Spirit and with joy and with full assurance. So don't despise the word of God. Test all things because the Word of God can come, obviously the Word of God comes from Scripture and Scripture is our final authority, but sometimes people speak truth to us that we test with Scripture and sometimes people speak deceptions to us that we test with Scripture. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Why? Because you're always in the presence of God, so don't quench God's Spirit. Now, he says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Completely is the word I would circle if I'm taking notes in my Bible. Sanctify means God is going to set me apart completely for himself. Sanctify means to be set apart So God is going to completely set apart me for himself the same way Adam and Eve were in Genesis 1 and 2 before they rebelled. When we come back to Christ, the whole point is that we get separated completely for God. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body, so it's all integrated, be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He, God, will do it. This verse, this teaching is all about living in the constant communion and awareness or the manifest presence of God. Now, here's where I want to be very, very practical with you because this is all kind of like, okay, how does this work itself out? I just want to give you some keys to experiencing the presence of God. Keys to experiencing versus quenching the presence of God. Keys to opening ourselves up to walk around, whether you're at work or at home, whether you're in the woods or whether you're at church, in a worship service, and understanding this thing called the manifest presence of God because it is a game changer for your faith. It is a game changer for your marriage, for your career, for who you are to understand and to live for the presence of God. First thing, we have to deal with, with our will. Now here's what I mean with our will. There's a part of you and there's a part of me that wants nothing to do with God. There's a part of you, there's a part of me that wants our to end every prayer with my will be done. That there's a question you and I Kind of are motivated by and driven by, and the question is, am I gonna get what I want and is God gonna help me? We have to deal with our will and say, am I willing to submit this, to surrender this, and to allow God? Do I want God to sanctify me completely? Here's what that means. Every part of you and your existence, your whole body, your soul, your mind, comes under the influence of the presence of God. So sleeping with your girlfriend stops. So spending money like it's your money stops. So speaking language like the rest of the culture speaks language or posting posts on social media like the rest of the culture posts posts on social media stops. And what replaces that? is this desire to give ourselves to God and to say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. And I want to be honest with you. A lot of people walk around thinking they're a Christian who aren't because here's what they walk around with. I'm forgiven. Everybody wants forgiveness from sin, but not everybody wants deliverance from sin. With Christ, they go hand in hand. Okay, You understand that, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven. They just don't want to be sanctified completely. Which means there's areas of their life where they want to get away from the presence of God. And that becomes a very important distinction for us to battle and wrestle with at the level of our volition, at the level of our choosing, at the level of our praying, at the level of our deciding. And so when you deal with your will, it's going to oftentimes feel like part of you is dying. And and, and you have to be still and know that he's God because you got all these things swirling in your mind. Will I get what I want? I I want it this way and that way, and I'm mad about this. Go back to what Paul said. In everything, we give thanks. Go back to what Paul said. We pray constantly because we're in and surrendering to the will of God. And and, and oftentimes, if, if, if this is really happening, there's a word I use to describe it you become indifferent. Not, not, not that you care, you're you carefree or careless. You're indifferent to anything but the will of God. When you pray, you pray neutral. I just want what God wants. And you got to steal your flesh and die to your flesh and die to your ego and die to your independent streak and die to your I want it my way and then come alive to I am made to live in the presence of God. So you've got to deal with your will. Number two, you have to know the world's false claims. Remember when Paul said, don't despise prophecy, but test everything? Here's what I think he means. There's prophecies that are going out all the time. And I'm not just talking about from preachers on the TV set or preachers in in churches. I mean, there's prophecy coming out on People magazine. There's prophecy coming out on media and prophecy from Hollywood and prophecy from social media that are trying to teach us a reality. When Paul says, test everything, he's saying, not everything that you hear is true or good. So I I was thinking through what are some of the world's false claims where the world wants to put this on you and cause you to live in accordance with this prophecy or cause you to live in accordance with this pseudo-fake reality. And here's the four I came up with. There's probably dozens more. These are the four I tend to see in my own life and in our media, in our world today. The first one is I am an autonomous individual and in control. I can be a self-made man, a self-made woman. All I have to do is follow my heart. That's what I'm made to do. If your heart's not set for, your heart was meant to be led, not followed. But so there's a ton of pressure here. In in fact, I I personally believe a lot of the rise in depression, I'm not talking about medical challenges, but a lot of the rise in depression and a lot of the things uh, that we're reading about going on is people think I've got to, the world's on my shoulders. I've got to figure it all out on my own. You were not designed to do that. You are not designed to be in control. You are not designed to be autonomous. When Paul says pray constantly, that means depend upon God everywhere you go. But there's a false claim that says, hey, if it's to be, it's up to me. There's a false claim that says, I got to take care of it. I can do it. That's a false claim. It's a false prophecy. Second one, joy is getting what I want. I can't be happy unless I get what I want. Go listen to Garth Brooks' song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers, and ask yourself if you ever really should get everything you wanted at every time in your life. Joy is getting what I want. Joy is being in the presence of God. That's the joy we were built for, we were designed for. And so, so many people are joyless or can't. What did Paul say? Let's go back to Paul. He says, rejoice in the Lord always rejoice always so many people can't do that always part because i'm not getting what i want i can't be happy unless i get that car i can't be happy unless i have a boyfriend i can't be happy unless i get into that college i can't be happy unless i get delivered or healed from this disease and and please hear me if presence is the point and in the presence of god there is fullness of joy And your soul is wired to be in the presence or or saved to become in the presence of God. You can have joy. There's a false prophecy that says joy is getting what I want. Another false prophecy is adversity is not God's will. Adversity is not God's will. And if I'm going through adversity, uh, I'll be okay. Test everything. What did Paul say? Give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ. So, so that, 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 those things start to quench where you start believing, well, God's not with me because I'm going through tough times. God's with me because I'm not getting what I want. And then here's the last false prophecy. Test it. I am what I do, I am what I have, or I am what others say. I am what I do, I am what I have, or I am what other people say. You know who you're designed to be? A child of God who walks around always aware of His special presence in you and with you and for you. Period. Because let me just tell you something. There's going to be a time when you can't do or someone can do it better. There's going to come a time when what you have will be taken from you. And there's going to be, come a time when people will not say the things you want to hear about you. And if you build your identity on any of these things, that's a false prophecy. And you will miss God and miss His love revealed to you by His Spirit of what His Son did when He hung on that tree for you. Third thing, we learn to re see the world. Now, here's what I mean when I say re see the world look for God. In the world in which we live. Be ripe with expectancy. Ripe with expectancy. What I mean by that is, if you are always in the presence of God, then the potential for a divine encounter, the potential to see something, perceive something, always exists. So everyone and everything and every moment matters. Everyone, everything, every moment matters. It's so powerful when you walk through your day and treat no day as a normal day, but every day as a potential to see and sense and experience and see how God's going to move. In everything we give thanks. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Number four, we'll re-envision the spiritual disciplines or the spiritual habits. Now, what do I mean by that? There's a school of thought and some of you, many of you have heard it where, you know, preachers like me, we get up here and say, read the Bible, be in church, say your prayers, see you next week. That's what you got to do to be a good Christian. Here's what we need to re-envision. The reason you read the Bible, the reason you come to weekly worship, the reason you give, the reason you pray is those things enable you and I to have communion with God. Those things help us see God. Those things help us encounter God. So what if your, your approach to coming to church was not, Hey, I hope this sermon is good about something relevant to my life. Or, or I hope they sing some songs I like and, and all that. What if your approach was, I'm going to church to meet with God? Because God has said things like he, he shows up through prophecy, which is what we're doing. He shows up when we praise his name. He manifests himself in ways where his reality becomes more acute and we become more aware of that reality. That it's not, hey, I read my Bible today, I'm doing good. I read my Bible today and here's the reality of God that I encountered. Vastly different. Hey, they sang a song in church that I didn't know. I didn't like it. Versus, hey, we sang a song about God's love. And and, and we kept repeating this chorus, and I was like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And then suddenly, I realized how much God loves me, and I experienced the reality of God. So you got to learn to prize what these things enable. That reading the Bible, going to church, all these things we call spiritual habits, they enable us to taste God. They enable us to experience God. And then the final thing, and I have been praying and working through this with the Lord for months, and actually years, and I'm excited to be able to share this with you because this has become so practical in my life, and maybe it'll help you, and it'll be our concluding thought, which is how do we keep in step with the Spirit? And it tells us to do that in the Word of God in Galatians 5. So what does that look like? Keeping in step with the Spirit, living, stepping, constantly in tune, constantly in sync with the Spirit of God. So I'm going to take the word step and teach you something, and then we'll illustrate it, and I'll pray for you. Here we go. The S stands for the Spirit is in me, that if you are a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. Believe it. Accept it on faith, and He's with me in my situation, so I am not in this alone. I have a holy God, now, every situation you're in, you've got, you've got a temptation of who do you trust? Do you lean on your own understanding or do you lean not on your own understanding? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And so the T stands for trust. So, but we're going to trust in a specific promise from the Word of God because the Spirit reveals, manifests, and, and brings the Word of God to us. So part of our daily life, part of our regimen as Christ followers is to ransack the Bible for a specific promise that applies to your situation. And then you're going to lean onto that promise, not onto your will or your ego or your fear or your desire for independence or your desire for control. So you're going to lean not on your will be done. You're going to lean into God's promise to you in Christ. E stands for this. Empowered by this promise, I'll make an effort. I'll make a choice. I'll make a decision. I have to act, but I'm going to act not in accordance with my flesh or my will, but this promise of God. And then the P stands for I will praise God for the result. Give thanks in everything. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I'll ask for God's pardon for any time I get out of step with Him or sink with Him in this situation. That is how you are constantly aware of God, even as you go to work, even as you deal with a difficult situation. So let me illustrate it. So I, I was out this week. Uh, I got invited by Compassion International, one of our partners. If you sponsor a Compassion kid, please write them this week. Uh, easy to do it online. But I was going out to speak at their chapel service. And, uh, and so, you know, this is a major organization. They, uh, they take care of 1.9 million kids in extreme poverty all over the world. Chapel service is broadcast to all of their country headquarters. And immediately I get inside my head and I'm like, what do I have to say to these people? And, 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 and I'm like afraid and I'm nervous. Because uh, let me tell you something about myself. The only place I really like speaking is Rockbridge. I'm like a home town guy, I'm like a home field advantage guy, I don't know. So whenever I get invited to go speak or share that's not Rockbridge related, I get nervous, I get scared, I don't want to do it, I don't know, I love you guys, right? But anyway, so I'm out there, and I'm like, okay, I, I, I cannot let this thing win, I've got to walk with the Spirit, all right? So... I'll walk into the room, and immediately it comes back. It's like, what are you going to say to these people? I mean, what am I th- I'm believing a false prophecy. I am what people say. I am what I do, and all those kind of things. But fortunately, you know, by the grace of God, the night before and that morning, I-, I was like, God, I need a promise to get me through this because I am in my head. It's in my stomach. I, I'm just, I just don't feel equipped for this. I don't feel like I can do this. I don't, why am I here? I mean, all of those things, Right. And, uh, and so the Holy Spirit was faithful. He gave me a promise, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, which basically says, my competency is from you, the Lord. My sufficiency is from you, the Lord. So let me take you through the process. I have the Holy Spirit in this speaking engagement in a place that I'm, I don't know real well. I can trust in my fear. I, I can trust in... Hey, I've got to try to impress somebody, or I can trust in God will be my competence. God will be my sufficiency. E, empowered effort. I got to make a choice. I got to do something. So in prayer, I I stick a fork in it. I draw a line. I say, God, this is you. You're with me. You are my sufficiency. And I praise God for whatever happens. And the peace of God came upon me. God was with me, and it was good. To God be the glory. You can go through that process in anything you do, and you will be continually aware that God is with you, God is for you, God is in you. And you will rejoice always as you pray constantly and as you give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, that you practice the point of Christianity, which is living in the presence of the Almighty God. Let us pray together. God, I'm just praying that uh, you've, you've done something with your word today. God, I'm praying that you've awoken us from maybe a slumber of not perceiving you, not being in sync with you, not being attentive to you. And God, I'm praying because we all walked in here with a situation, right, on our plate, something on our radar, something where we've got a choice. Do we we live in your presence in this situation, or do we do it our way and go the way of the world in this situation? So God, I just want to pray right now in the name of Jesus and based on the presence of the Holy Spirit here today, that all fear would be arrested in Christ, that all doubt and insecurity and anxiety would be arrested by you, God, and your promise to never leave us or forsake us, to not leave us as orphans, but to put your Spirit inside of us. God, I want to pray against all pride for people who think I'm respectably good and I don't need God or I've got enough talent, enough smarts, enough wealth to handle it or to figure it out. And I pray in the name of Jesus that we would seize your promise that apart from you we are nothing and we can do nothing and we lean not on our own understanding but we trust in you, Lord, with all our heart. And God, I'm praying that we would be a people as Rockbridge who would say, God, sanctify me completely in accordance with your will and in accordance with your word. God, that means there's no part of me, no part of my life that's off limits to you. And God, I want you to have everything because I want more of you. And God, what I look forward to most when I die or Jesus comes again is that I just get more of you. God, would you create those desires in our heart? And would you put us all in step with your Spirit? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.